Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. It is time once again for the Life Uncloseted podcast. This is where we gather together to really explore those closets of life and to realize there isn't any excuse or fear big enough to keep us from living unapologetically and coming out of our closets to live our life uncloseted. And each show we try to dive in with amazing stories of just people who found their way to doing the things that most important to them, being who they are in the world. And if you're struggling with this, I want to make sure you know, as you do every show, to hop over, take the life uncloseted, unapologetic life assessment over at the website and see what's going on for you. But enough about that. I want to dive into this show today because it's so amazing when the world and the universe aligns you with somebody and then you realize, oh, this is a good connection. This is somebody that I really would love to have a cool conversation with. And I've been lucky to have a couple of conversations with her prior to this show. And she's doing some cool stuff out there in the world, helping people live their own, their own uncloseted, authentic lives. She's a director of Pride and Joy Foundation and... I don't know. I just, I'm going to kind of let hers tell the rest of the story because I think there's so many neat nuances to what Alina Joy Thurston brings to the world. She's a parent. She's a lesbian. What a shocker. Um, And she's just an amazing person that's really helping people navigate some of the stuff like, what did I do? I have a gay son or daughter, a lesbian, or even somebody who's gender, you know, neutral, so to speak. And the grandparents are like, well, help me. I'm old school. I just need to understand some stuff. So Alina, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Wow, thank you. It is an honor to be here. I love this platform that you've developed, and I really appreciate you allowing other people to come on and share the mic. Well, I'm going to just give you the stroke back with the Pride and Joy Foundation. I love what you're doing. And and I feel like, not that, you know, I want to stroke our own egos right now, but the more that we can bring these sort of avenues and foundations and pathways for people to go, Hey, I need some help or I need some guidance or I need some support. The better place that hopefully we're making in the world. So um, again, thanks for building what you built. And I'm going to just assume that, you know, you came to where you came from partially out of your own experience and like, okay, we've got to do something. We got to bring something to the world that really supports people. And I know you just wove a magic fairy, you know, lesbian wand and poof, there it was. It was, <laughs> there it was. yeah, because this is what we do. This is the unicorn power we as LGBTQ people have. We just have these magic wands and, mm-hmm. you know, actually if we had a magic wand, the last four years would have been a whole different ballgame. But anyway, <laughs> just going to go there because it's my show and I can go wherever I want to go with stuff like that. But um, anyway, so, but yeah. Rainbow glitter in the world to deal with the last four years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, I don't think we have enough gay lesbian bi trans magic wands to like have fixed any of that but um so you're a lesbian Uh, 
but you're a lesbian with children too. Even bigger shock. Well, not that's not as big a shocker to most people. It's like, oh, you're a gay man and you have children. It's like, yeah, I, yeah, I know. Do you need some therapy now that I just told you that? Um, <laughs> it's more acceptable that lesbians have children for whatever god awful. Um, it's just weird that oh, they're women, they're lesbians. Okay, that makes sense. Whatever, mm -hmm. you know. But um, yeah, four. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of like. <laughs> mommy needing mommy time in your life. You know? Oh my gosh, for real. Like I, I added up the amount of years that I was pregnant and nursing. Uh, so basically when my body was not my own, right? it was a whole lot of years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. My kid, so did you surrogate or I, I don't even know the backstory on all the kids. What did oh, you do? Oh no, so all four kids are from my marriage okay. um, that I was in with my husband. We were married for 18 years. I came okay. out in our 17th year of marriage. Okay. So yeah, we have four kids together. You kind of beat me. I was married for 13 years. So you kind of went a little longer haul there to finally figure this whole thing out. I'm an so. overachiever. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. Now, <laughs> granted, you know, we could add, you know, a few years on because I knew at 19, I came out at 19. But then I'm like, okay, let's no, let's go ride this other pony for a few more years. So yeah, um, but it is interesting when you make that transition, right? I mean, it's such wow. a it's not, it's more than just interesting. It's painful. It's challenging. It's like, what the fuck was I thinking? It's, I'm so glad I'm doing this. And then, I mean, it's, you're, you're kind of all over the place, right? True. It's a roller coaster. You know, some days you're like going up and you're thinking, okay, I'm finally getting to know myself. I'm finally getting to know my place in the world. And you're feeling so good. And then you just start going down again <laughs> and you're thinking, this is a harder life. Like maybe it would have been mm -hmm. easier if I had just stayed in that closet and stayed in that marriage and let him pay all the bills. <laughs> right. And not have to do the divorce and not have to do co-parenting. Right. But man, luckily I feel like my roller coaster is evening out a little bit. And now it's, I'm not going to say it's smooth sailing by any means because anyone who's a parent, regardless of the situation, it's not smooth sailing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But it definitely is. I would say that all four parents are now in the same car <laughs> on the roller coaster. So at least we are on the same page. That's amazing. That is amazing because for so many people who come out of the closet later in life, that is not what happens. No. It becomes a complete freaking nightmare of madness and hate and throwing people under the bus and mm -hmm. just it's awful so what do you feel oh, like is wrong like during our two-year divorce we definitely went there <laughs> yeah oh yeah i agree hello high five well not high yeah. <laughs> since like, high five yeah but no totally get you you know yeah. and and it's interesting too that as you move through so we kind of we went through that same stuff our, our divorce didn't take long i think it was less than a year but um there were the first couple of years were like, hate you, hate you, hate you. And then we kind of plateaued and like, okay, we're making this all work. And then about six years into it, other stuff happened, uh, you know, some stuff with my ex-wife and suicide attempts and all that sort of stuff. And then we were back to, okay, kind of hate you, hate you, hate you for different reasons now. And, and then we kind of got smooth again. And then now we're at a place that we just, we don't talk because there's been some other stuff that's happened that I'm like, okay, I'm checking out of this. I don't have to be here anymore. And I'm, I'm exercising my right to walk away and yeah. go, good luck, care about you as a person, yeah. but I'm not going to stay on the crazy train. So, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it is definitely different. So you kind of went through all of that. 
but you also, you know, went through some other big stuff that kind of contributed to where you are and where you got to. So absolutely. what was one of the biggest things that, I mean, I'm not going to call it out. I'm going to kind of let you kind of bring it in, but um, you know, you had your own little visit with the, the S word, right? The suicide I did. word. Yeah. So and I don't mean to diminish like little visit. I, that's not what I meant, folks. It's right. not a little thing, you know, but um, you did go there. Absolutely. I did. Um, and that's, that's no secret for sure. Um, I came out at 37, realized my sexuality, but at the time I was, like I said, married for 17 years at that point, four kids, but because of our faith community, it wasn't just like, okay, your sexuality is different. We got to navigate this. It was, mm-hmm. I'm going to hell. And I'm not going to be in heaven with my family. And that had been literally the entire focus of the previous 20 years. So the stakes were really, really high. Yep. And it was always, it was never addressed as like, okay, now we're more clear about your sexuality. Like we didn't even use the word lesbian. What we Mm -hmm. said was Elena is suffering from same sex attraction. And it is a temptation that she's supposed to overcome. And so it was like my lack of strength or my, I was broken. There was a problem with me. And so I am a fixer (laughs) as a, as, as a mom, as a business owner, I am always about finding the solution to the problem. And so it was, okay, I have a problem. What's my solution. And I found a guy in town who said, yeah, I was a therapist for 40 years. Now I work as a coach, red flag, number one. And you can work with me. And in a month or two, you won't be attracted to women anymore. Red flag number two. <laughs> but that's how it happens. Again, we bring out, well, they bring out their straight, uh, you know, crazy wands that they think they can wave and make yeah. happen. And bada bing, bada doom. It doesn't really go that way. Exactly. So I did, you know, it was supposed to be a month or two. And it turned into six months of, um, regression, memory, going through past traumas, trying to find what he called the instigating event that would make me think that I was attracted to women. And like 57% of all people who go through conversion therapy, I did end up suicidal. And I'm incredibly lucky and privileged. I'm gonna use the word privileged because I was to get incredible mental help really quickly. And for the first time in my life, I was put on some anxiety and depression meds, Mm. which meant for the first time in years, I could sleep. Mm. And every time I woke up, things were more clear and I was connecting dots. And that's when I was able to realize through a series of events that this was total BS. This was not ever going to work. And it actually wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. And so from there, it was a lot of healing, a lot of healing. And, um, and you know, the little steps, file for divorce, move out of my house, move into my own house for the first time in my adult life, the entire thing. And as I shared my story in the beginning, I was convinced, I was convinced I was the only ex-Mormon lesbian mom ever on the face of the planet. (laughs) And then once I broadened my horizons, you know, things are really like locked down when you're really deep in that faith community. And so I was very careful about where I went on Facebook, where I went on Instagram. I wouldn't, I didn't want to be influenced by any immoral issues, right? So it wasn't until I moved out of the house that I finally looked up lesbians on Instagram. 
like those were the first photos of, of lesbians I'd ever seen in my life. And that's when I realized, oh, it's not just that I'm not the only one. I'm one of like thousands. <laughs> and once I realized that, and it's a phrase that I use all the time, visibility is life. Like every time I saw another photo of a happy, functional lesbian couple, married mm -hmm. or not married, it just, it gave me life. It gave yeah. me hope. It gave me like a vision of like where I could take my life. And so I started sharing my story with other people and more and more people gravitated towards it. And not just because of the sexuality stuff, but coming out, as you well know, with this podcast, it's a universal thing. Like you might be coming out with your sexuality or you might be coming out as no longer a believer in your family faith of generations and generations, right? Or you might come out as a first time mom, or you might come out as pregnant, or you might come out as I just had a miscarriage right like all of those experiences are those universal vulnerabilities that we all take on but yet and most so, people don't it's so amazing on both sides of the fence that most people don't see that coming out about your sexuality is a very i mean they know it intuitively yeah that it's a very vulnerable moment but they don't see that oh but why is it such a big deal so to speak or you can't equate that to me coming out about having a miscarriage. Yes. And, and, and the thing is, is we're vulnerable beings. Yeah. And yeah. if somebody told somebody who had a miscarriage, Oh, just get over it, get past it. Right. Right. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> that's your solution. Like, Oh and no, you, you shouldn't feel that way. You can, you know, mm -hmm. da, 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 da. but you know, we would be, we would be banished to the earth as horrible people. If we told somebody who experienced that. Absolutely. I mean, and from Black Lives Matter to everything else, it's like, oh, get over it already. Mm -hmm. Oh, get over, get over it already that you were standing in the House chambers and the Capitol was being attacked. Oh, just get over that. Right. Seriously? We don't just get over this stuff. No, we don't. It's unhealthy. To yes, it's very unhealthy. Like and I want to, I want to back up just a minute to what you said, because I, I want to make sure the listeners heard that statistic. What was the percentage again that you said of people in conversion therapy that attempt suicide? 57%. Okay. I want to make sure everybody hears that 57%. That is a scary number. And really? a very similar number is the amount. And I think at times it goes higher than this 50% or more. Usually it's around 60%, maybe even 65, depending on, and it's probably even worse during this pandemic, 50 to 65% of youth who end up out on the street are LGBTQ. So you take that number and you take the number that are in conversion therapy and there's crossover, obviously. Yeah. There's going to be huge amounts of crossover. We are killing children Yeah, we are. with this. And nobody gets it. Well, no. I shouldn't say nobody gets it. People get it. But, you know, this is something I, I wish people could really truly embrace. I agree. And I think that for the majority of it, it's a lack of education, right? Yes, the majority of Americans don't realize it's still happening. Yep. The majority of the world, I mean, New Zealand is in a huge fight right at this moment about trying to get this banned countrywide. And that should be something that the LGBTQ community across the world is watching because the worst stories, like the most physically violent stories of conversion therapy I've heard in the last five years, have come out of New Zealand. 
Yeah. And those camps are filled with kids that are American, that are British, that are German, that are Polish, right? The most horrific camps that I've heard of right now are housed mm. in New Zealand. So mm. when that debate is happening in the New Zealand prime minister's office today, like we should all be aware of that. Yes. Those are our children. Yes. Yep. And yeah. it's just, it's so scary because people think, oh, but it's not that way anymore. Oh, oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And anybody who believes that it's not happening right now is sadly mistaken. That's right. That's why I'm testifying. We're, we're recording this on a Friday. On Monday, I'm testifying to the Arizona State Legislature. And the scary part is that we have worked for over a year just to get a hearing, okay? Mm. We found out yesterday that there's an opposing group who were able in less than a week to pull together a hearing. They want to get a measure on the ballot that prevents you from enacting a ban on conversion therapy. It's basically <sighs> a ban on a ban. So if we, if that passes, in order to change that, that means we have to repeal that law first and then put in a ban. So it is shocking how quickly it can move here and how slowly. Cause it's mm -hmm. taken us a year to get this hearing. <laughs> it was, I can't even remember. So I'm going to kind of like guess, let's see. So 2009, it's probably 2011, maybe 12 that I was on the new and improved Ricky Lake show. Mm. <clears throat> and I was on with a couple, his name was Josh. His name is Josh Weed and his wife. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I knew you'd, you'd know that name given your background. And I remember him sitting there on that couch saying, yes, I know I'm gay and I know that, but I am cho choosing to like love my wife, do this. And I'm going to forsake that. And, you know, of course, you know, the whole audience is like, you're full of shit, but, um, and as the coming out coach expert on the, you know, platform, I was like, Yes, some people do choose. This is the life they choose. It doesn't mean that they say they're, you know, not who they are. They recognize it, but they choose not, you know, to not live that life. And, you know, of course, as soon as I was on my own on the couch and everything, they're like, but can they successfully do that? I said, that comes down to the individual. It depends, and it also depends on how you define successful. Right. You know? Are you in a, in a marriage that has nothing to it or in a marriage that you're pretending that we just do this, you know? And I remember how adamant he was. Oh, yes. Da, da, da. And of course, now years later, he's out of the closet, not living with his wife, all this sort of stuff. And so he was very much one of those people on that kind of bandwagon. And I hate to say it, folks, and you can argue this and I won't even argue with people about this stuff. So first, first off, high five that you're doing this, Elena. Mm -hmm because I wouldn't have the patience to have those kind of conversations, except that I want to fight for the right. But somebody who believes that, yes, this conversion therapy heals and fixes everything. And, and it's already been called out numerous times that it doesn't work. Yeah. But it right. always leads me to the space of the person who's pushing this so hard. What are you hiding? Yeah. It may not be that you're gay. It may not be, but a lot of times it is. Or there's some piece of you that you're hiding something that this is deflecting, That's deflecting right. away from something you don't want anybody to find out about you. Mm -hmm. 
So what did you yeah. learn most from this experience of, you know, obviously you, you, you didn't learn that, Hey, okay. I know I'm a lesbian. You already knew it all the way along, yeah. but what do you feel like you've learned of, in general? Like well, something I you learned really learned from that it. when we are desperate for an answer, for a solution, we really turn off our critical thinking skills. I did not Google this guy. I did not Google the practice. I did not, I, I didn't even research like, okay, where are the best schools that a psychologist can go to, to learn how to help someone be straight again? Oh, cause if I had done that, like yeah. it would have been very clear, very quickly that this is a fake science. This is pseudoscience. This is yeah. not real. The APA has debunked it. Yeah. Like, and, but I shut down all of those critical thinking skills because I was desperate. The stakes were high and I was very desperate. And that's how I, I begin to feel for these parents. Yep. You know, I truly believe that most parents really love their children, really want what's best for them. And they go into a very desperate um, fear-based mode. And when we are there, we can't use our critical thinking mm -hmm. skills. Anytime so you're in fear. To be so judgmental of these parents, right? But at the yeah, same yeah. time, when we're scared, we do things we would not normally do. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, I mean, I, I know Alina, Alina's already shared hers, but here I know when I was scared back when I was 19, Yeah, I wasn't, well, there's was two main things that I was scared of. Well, okay. I could start listing all of them. I'm going to say the two or three main things that I was scared of. Number one, I was scared of my dad <clears throat> and God love him. He's still around and kicking, but I, I, I was scared to death of him because he was a son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. he was violent he was an angry man and me coming out of the closet was just another thing i'm gonna beat this i'm gonna beat the gay out of you right yeah number two i was afraid i was going to hell yeah okay so i was raised seven day adventist and you're going to hell if this is who you are number three it was right at the beginning of the aids epidemic i was naive oh, sexually yeah okay but i had firsthand experience with the AIDS epidemic. My dad's oldest brother, who was gay, who never was acknowledged, so to speak, in the family as being gay, mm -hmm. even though he'd show up with his partner who he lived with in San Francisco. And everybody right. thought it was great that they had this great restaurant company and fabulous parties they threw and all this, even though Seventh-day Adventists aren't supposed to party and drink and all, you know, it was like, Oh, look what our uncle, you know, what my brother does. He, you know, he was also the butt of the jokes. As soon as he turned around and walked out of a room, it's like, he's such a sissy. You know, it's like, it's like, whatever, but uh, he passed away. He was one of the very first ones in the San Francisco Bay area to pass away from the AIDS epidemic. So uh -huh. I was young enough and sexually and dating naive enough that I thought, okay, yeah, if I do this, I'm going to die. And honestly, I probably would have because I was so naive that I probably would have done some really stupid things. Wow. But even in that time frame, I and a few people who may have, if you're longtime listeners, you've heard this story before, but as I, I was in college in Chattanooga, Tennessee, <clears throat> and so Seventh-day Adventists, we worship on Saturday versus Sunday. And it was like, you have to go to church. When you check out of the dorm, you have to sign out that you're going to church and which church you're going to. They actually had people that would go sit outside the churches to make sure you're there. So I would sign out that I'm going to some church way up in the hills. And, you know, because they couldn't have, they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't send the, the whole posse out to all the churches. And I, I was actually going into Chattanooga and taking dance classes. <laughs> 
And I remember one Saturday walking in early to dance class and there was just this um, gorgeous guy that came to class and and nobody's there. And I'm just kind of like warming up. And yes, this is when I put my leg warmers on. And most of you are going to be like, I can't imagine big old six foot four Rick with leg warmers. And like, okay, trust me, it it happened. It was scary. It was amazing. And Steven, see, I even remember his name. That's how it's so ingrained in my head. And Steven walks in and I had been warming up and doing some stuff. And I was doing like a little bit of a dance. Like, he goes, you're really good. And I, I got, I was petrified. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. You know, Butch Rick, dancer, right? Shows up. <clears throat> and he goes, and you're also really handsome. I'm like, oh, oh. And so, of course, Butch Rick's like, hey, thanks, man. But I don't play on your team, so to speak, right? Well, that day he asked me for a ride back to his campus. He was going to college in downtown Chattanooga. At the time, it was kind of downtown. Now it's probably God knows where it is, but he was at University of Tennessee. <clears throat> and so I gave him a ride back. He goes, thanks a bunch. And then suddenly that kind of became the thing while well, we were performing and we did a performance. And that night he said, hey, can you give me a ride back to my, ho- my hotel? You know where my mind's going. Um, <clears throat> can you give me a ride back to campus? I'm like, sure. And we're driving back. He goes, would you like to have a drink? I'm like, oh yeah, that would be cool. And now, of course, I'm off the euphoria. We just had a really great dance performance and everything. He goes, let's stop at this bar. And we pull up. And of course, I freeze because it's a gay bar, of course, the one gay bar in town. Right. I'm like, hey, you know what? I think, you know, I think I'm going to pass. And he's like, oh, so you don't want to go in? I'm like, not really. He goes, well, you go have a drink somewhere else. I'm like, no, no, you go. So that kind of passed. Right. Well, then we had a performance the next night as well. And same thing, hop in the car, can you, you know, give him a ride back. And he goes, I just dropped me off at my dorm. I'm like, okay. And we get to the dorm and he goes, Hey Rick, I really appreciate you giving me rides all the time. I really appreciate you, man. And he leans over and he kisses me. Whoa. And that was the moment I'm like, I am so scared right now, oh. but I'm also so curious. Yeah. So the next weekend, typical weekend we don't have a performance we're just doing dance and stuff but we had to shift our our dance studio time to like an afternoon thing for whatever reason he shows up we hadn't talked about this whole kiss thing right and he goes can i talk to you i'm like yeah and he goes i'm really sorry i kissed you the other day i said i'm not and i can't even even as i say this telling the story right now i'm like i can't believe i actually said that and he goes i know you're not and he goes, I just hope you find the way to be who you are. Oh. And it was really interesting because that day I decided not to give him a ride home, nor did he ask for one. And I left the dance studio and I drove to the gay bar. Don't ask me why. I don't even, I still to this day, I'm like, why did I end up outside of the gay bar? And I was too petrified to go in. Oh, man. All because everybody had told me you can't be this this can't be who you are and it was shortly after that that i finally i actually give a huge gratitude to steven even though i don't know what happened to him or where he went because you know but shortly after that i quit going to dance stuff but shortly after that i also was when i came out to my parents yeah and they immediately said you can't be that you can't do that and so my dance thing kind of stopped until I got into college. And two years later, I was in college stuff and I was doing some dancing. 
but it's so interesting to see how that little bit of you can't be this, this is who you're supposed to be. And of course, I went to my own version of conversion therapy. Yeah. <clears throat> Not deep dive. I went and spent some time with the pastor at the church. Yep. Um, and it was interesting because I remember his name's pastor. I can't remember his first name now. Uh, no, his first name's Warren. But I remember we always called him Pastor Warren. And he was just, he was a cool guy. He was like a really cool, one of those cool pastors that, you know, he actually was pretty ahead of his time for being in the early 80s. And even though I went through that experience, I never felt like he was like 100% like you're going to hell, but you need to, you need to change your life. You need to like, you right. know, be who you are, but, you know, be who you are in the way God wants you to be. And, right. and he never was like super derogatory about it. Of course, for me, I was like, you can say all you want. Cause I'm just here to look at you cause you're really hot. So that's, <laughs> that's all that was going through my mind, but it's just, it's interesting in these experiences that we lose ourselves so much, but yet it's not surprising at all. Yeah. So yeah, as you went through it, do you feel like the losing yourself? I mean, there's so many pain points, but I'm just curious. Do you feel like the losing yourself that you, did you even realize you were losing yourself? Cause I know I didn't, I couldn't put that finger on that. Absolutely not. I, you know, what I, what I thought I was doing was becoming the person I was supposed to be. Right. And so the framework that was, that I accepted as what I was supposed to be was what quote unquote, God wanted me to be right. Mm -hmm. He wanted me to be an amazing mom, an awesome wife, an incredible, obedient daughter of him. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and so I thought, that was what, that was what this life was about. And so I stayed in this very narrow lane, yep. right? And that, but I thought it was authentic to me. I thought it was exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And I've now matured and learned that it's life is not about what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> yep. It's not about the shoulds and the supposed tos, right? Yep. Yeah. It's interesting that you couch that in the authentic to me piece, because authenticity has been that word has been thrown around now so much that it's like, can we just like wash it away? I mean, it's still a good word, but been there, done that, you know, um, kind of like, you know, Patriot and okay, we're not going to get on that um, <laughs> subject, but um, <clears throat> I found for me that when I did dial into, you know, what is true for me? Yeah. And when I started questioning how true is that, and part of that came through my coach training. That was one of the big things in the coach training. I remember the instructor saying, one of the most powerful questions you can ask a client is how true is that? Because that's a hard question to really say, well, it's this yeah. true because, because even then you can say, and how true is what you just said? That's right. You know, cause you can yeah. keep going down and going down that path. Which but is yet, how you distill it, right? It That's is, how yeah. You go from yeah. a lot to the main, the main right. thing, right. right? And so, I remember having a conversation with someone in the height of like when I was like, "Fuck you, you don't get me, and I'm going to make you get me," and just like taking them down that path because, and it was happening right when I was getting trained as a coach, like in 2009, and I was still in my like everybody's going to love me. Everybody's going to, you know, until I realized what does it matter, Rick? Some people just aren't going to get it. So that don't waste your breath and time. Right. Mm -hmm. 
But I remember this one person when I kept saying, but how true is that? Because the quite the whole thing started with, you know, you really, you're, you're, you're just, you're, um, they didn't use the word disobey, but basically it's like, you are hurting God intentionally. And I'm like, I said, well, how true is that? How do you know? You know, how do you, how do you know that's the truth for God? And then we kept going and going and I could tell every time I said, but well, but how true is that? Of course, when you do this with people that aren't in a contained environment, like in a coaching session or a therapy session, Mm -hmm. oh, they get pissed. Yeah. (laughs) Because they, they realize they're losing the ground because they actually can't come back with like something that is the truth for them. And it's so hard when you hear about these conversion therapies and stuff. And if you actually ask somebody who's a practitioner of that, how true is it that this is going to cure somebody by being gay or lesbian? Yeah. I don't think any of them can actually truthfully say it's a hundred percent true. No. And that's the danger because it's pushed back on the, um, on the client or, exactly. or in many cases on the, on the victim, yep. because it is, well, it'll work. If you work hard enough, it'll be successful. If you try hard enough, if you're strong enough, if you develop that inner strength to withstand temptation, mm-hmm. right. It, yeah, it'll it's all work on you. It's you not, on, it's not on them. Yeah. It's on yeah. you. It's on you to make this That's do this, the danger. which is such an interesting concept. And I think this is where, you know, what the work you do in pride and joy really starts to help people understand some of this. But the interesting thing is if I love looking at a man and I can see myself and envision myself, and I'm not even talking sex, I can see myself having a relationship because he lights me up. He makes me feel excited. He makes me feel like we can do something together. That's my truth. Yeah. I can't change it. That doesn't mean I don't love. I mean, I, I mean, as I said, Elena and I have had the opportunity a couple of times to like, you know, be in some other areas together. And when she reached out and like, Oh, I'd love to do this. I'm like, absolutely. It's not that I don't love women. It's just, I like Elena, but I, I couldn't see myself having a relationship in a intimate space with her. I don't light you up. Right. Right. And it isn't I'm- about, oh my gosh, this guy, he has such a huge dick and that's what like, it isn't that. No. And so many people who are so opposed to us in our lifestyle, and that's another word that just drives me freaking crazy. <laughs> uh, that's all they can put the equation on is it's the mm-hmm. sex. It has nothing to do with that. It's a piece of it. It's a very beautiful, enjoyable piece. But to anybody who's in that realm, like, so what you're telling me is sex with your wife is everything that drives your relationship. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, but that's what's supposed to drive my relationship. My relationship, right. Right. We, our foundation had an event last night. We were, it was um, around lesbians and women. And we had Dr. Frankie there. And she was giving us all these incredible tips about how to look at relationships, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. one of the things she said just kind of blew my mind. She was like, so many people tell me, this is where I live. Don't match me with anyone who's more than a hundred miles away. (laughs) To which her response is, okay, here's the deal. I only want to match you with people who are going to light you up. Right. So that eliminates 90% of the dating Mm -hmm. pool. 
So mm-hmm. if that 10%, if there's someone in there who lights you up and makes you the person you want to be in life and how you want to live your life, but that person happens to live 300 miles away, you really don't want me to match that, that person with you. Mm-hmm. And I thought, holy cow, what an incredible way to look at not only like our romantic relationships, but our family relationships mm-hmm. and our work relationships and our friendships, right? Like, are you a person that lights me up and supports me in being the person I want to be? Then I want you in my life regardless of anything else. And if you're not that person that lights me up and supports me in that way, yeah, you don't really belong in my life. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, it's interesting in, in the world, but I'm going to dial it in to the LGBTQ space and specifically with gay men. I had a very similar conversation this week. Um, and I, I know Dr. Frankie too. I, I think she's amazing. Yeah. Um, but we had a very similar conversation this week with one of my men's groups about intergenerational male relationships. So the mm-hmm. daddy son or, you know, the younger older, however you want to couch it. And one of the guys said, I just don't get it. I said, it's not yours to get then. Nobody's telling you you have to be in that kind of relationship, but I I just don't get it. Why would somebody want to be with somebody that's 20, 30 years older than them? I said, because that lights them up. Yeah. And that's the only thing that it has to do. It has to light them up as a couple. The rest of us, we may not get it. I mean, hand raised. I don't, I couldn't do it, but there's some young guys that are in my life that I'm like, I totally, they totally rock my world, but I was sure the heck wouldn't be having a relationship with them because that's not what lights me up. Exactly. But that doesn't mean it's not going to work. And I think this is the thing that for most people, and you know, the work again that you do with the Pride and Joy Foundation of helping people really come to terms with this is if everybody could just understand the relationships we carve out in our lives and the people we choose to be in relationships with, if you take the sexuality piece out of it, most of us wouldn't probably understand why anybody's in the relationship that somebody else is with. Because we just don't, we know our friend, what well, that doesn't seem like the right person for you. Or, you know, there's very few people I'm like, yeah, they're totally like, yeah, I totally get why they're a couple. That's, yeah. that's such of a different thing. But then suddenly we put the sexuality or the gender identity piece into it. And everybody's like, oh no, you can't do that. that that's not right. <laughs> really? really this is what lights me up yeah and and i wish people could embrace that more i do i think this is the powerful piece of and i want you to talk a little bit about the pride and joy foundation because i know in the description that you use there's like even like helping the grandparents really understand how to relate Mm -hmm. because all they want to do is they want to support the person who's saying this is what lights me up as who i am Yeah. Yeah. And I truly believe that grandparents and aunts and uncles and teachers and principals, like at their core, they can understand that. They Mm -hmm. know what lights them up and therefore they can relate that to this person that they love and respect. But what we have is years and years and years of programming that is standing in the way of getting to that core that is going to create the empathy. So one of the most useful things is for us as the LGBTQ person that they love to remember that there's a difference between their core and their years of programming. Yes. Right. And once we can make that differentiation, then we can 
establish a safe and healthy relationship with them. But if we can't make that differentiation, then it's very easy for that relationship to turn toxic. Mm-hmm. And I love that description, Elena, because I remember when I was in coaching training, so we do a lot of like, you know, mentor coaching with mentor coaches, and then we coach each other. That's part of the thing. You know, you have your, your cook, buddy coach that you coach each other back and forth and you know it's all like to get the hours so that you can say right. okay I'm officially a coach now and <laughs> wait and I don't why that sounded really flippant it's hard work people I'm trust me this is not an easy journey to become a coach it's there if you're in a, a good ICF which stands for the International Coach Federation program you got to meet some big criteria not right. like a therapist or a psychologist or any of that but you got to I mean, I had to have 500 hours of coaching under my belt before I could really like step out, so to speak. And what was interesting is I was coaching with a fellow coach and I was really trying to work through this whole relationship thing with my dad because mm-hmm. it was still in the heat of he didn't get me. And then sometimes he would, but then he'd want to throw the, you know, but God doesn't approve of this sort of stuff. And I'm like, really? So God approved of all the affairs you had, right? you know, go figure. Oh. buddy. Until my coach said, so, you know, typical coach question. So how could you look at this differently? How could you embrace that your dad is doing the best with what he has to work with and realize that at his core, maybe he really does love you, but his programming is telling him, this is how he has to show up with you. Right. I started bawling. Mm. I mean, I was 40 some years old and I'm, you know, like having this really deep break Yeah. because I realized in that moment, what she had just helped highlight for me was not only a way of pathway through, mm-hmm. but I was seeing my own shit in the mirror too. Mm, right, because the programming, own. I was looking at the same freaking programming yeah. in myself. Yeah. Because of course, as a parent, <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I'm kind of doing the same shit with my kids. Time to stop that, you know? Yeah. It's such a fascinating thing. So what inspired you to establish this Pride and Joy Foundation? I'm just curious. Yeah, so I was speaking around the country. I had done the TED talk. It went live. I had speaking engagements all over the place. Um, About half of them were with universities, with their um, LGBTQ resource centers, right? Yep. Yep. And that, that was awesome. But then COVID hit. It was March of 2020. COVID hit. All my speaking engagements had to be canceled. And what I heard, the response was these kids reaching out and saying, I was really looking forward to hearing from you because I was going to come out to my family. I've come out while I was in college and I wanted to come out to my family, but I wanted to hear from you first. But now I'm at home. I've been sent home and I had no idea that would happen. And now I'm kind of trapped. Like all my LGBTQ community is online. I can't see them. I can't go to the gay bar. I can't go to the gay coffee shop. I can't go anywhere. And the desperation became palpable. And then on top of that, what a few months into quarantine, what was happening was there were spouses that were quarantined together. Right. And, you know, I thought back to, if I had been in that position, oh my gosh, (laughs) 
topic, I had only lasted as long as I had because I had been so distracted, right? I had forcibly distracted myself. But when you're quarantined with someone, you can't distract yourself. And so all of a sudden, all these marriages were struggling and people were struggling. Adults were reaching out to me saying, do you think I should try conversion therapy? And of course, you know, my response would be to that. But that's when it was like, okay, I have to pivot. Public yeah. speaking is not how I'm going to help people right now. How am I going to help people? That would be with a nonprofit. So we started the nonprofit with a few different strategies in mind. One was that we created an online support group that brings together straight parents of queer kids who are like, what the hell am I doing? And then we have queer parents who are like, what the hell am I doing? Because <laughs> they're navigating the mom and dad heteronormative world. And then we have people like grandparents and aunts and uncles that have questions and need a safe place for answers. So we brought them all together. What we didn't realize is there was gonna be this incredible synergy. For example, we have a mom who says, okay, my son has come out, he needs to have the sex talk and I have no idea what I'm gonna say to him. And then that gay couple can chime in and say, okay, we can help you out with that. But our newborn baby that we just adopted has a bum rash that we have no idea what to do with. <laughs> and that mom can say, oh, I got you on that, right? And so there's this incredible synergy that's in there that is just amazing. Um, and then a second strategy that we use is we work with LGBTQ college resource centers to do to provide suicide prevention workshops. And so our theory is that you know, the helplines are amazing, right? Trevor Project and the text lines, and that's awesome. Right. But to me, they are a last resort. These kids that are struggling with suicidal ideation, they're talking to their peers first. Yep. So why don't we empower those peers with information? They're not going to become mental health experts, right? Like right. there's no expectation of that. We very much compare it to like a CPR class. Yeah. Like no one expects someone who knows CPR to be a surgeon. Right. Right. Exactly. So this is the same thing. It's a 90 minute class that we can teach them skills, exact questions they can use, active listening skills, and then the resources that are in their local area. Who are the affirming therapists? Who are the affirming support groups? Right. Like right. making sure that they can walk away from their peer, knowing that they have a plan to help themselves. Right. Awesome. So that is incredible. And our donors cover that because a lot of the times those underserved resource centers, they don't yeah. have the money to fund those workshops. Mm -hmm. So then our, our third path is that we do inclusion trainings with corporations and organizations. It's our sneaky way of developing an army of allies because they, they have basically it came from my, my ex-husband. He had been a partner with a public accounting firm, one of the big four. And I always knew when he came home and he had done an HR training mm -hmm. because he'd be like, I would like to try my active listening skills. <laughs> <laughs> or he'd be like, I'd like to invite some feedback on my performance as a dad. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Exactly. I would be like, yeah, because he's open to that from work. It's a much harder thing to be like, just as the naggy wife, I'd like to right. give you some feedback. <laughs> right. right? So that's when I realized, wow, those HR trainings are really powerful. And now when we do them with the company, these parents are able to come home and have dinner with their kids at night and say, hey, I learned about non-binary today. Are any of your friends non-binary? And they end up having a conversation they never had before, which right. is just incredible. 
Um, and then the last thing we do is an annual summit where we bring all these families together along with queer influencers and content creators. And we allow that networking and the learning and the contacts and the relationships that all gets to happen in a weekend. And that's pretty awesome. That's amazing. And I want everybody to get that this all happened because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing, you know, when you think about that. I mean, I, I, I feel really blessed over the last year because COVID brought me a lot of stuff I didn't think I would get, not COVID itself. Yeah. But I, I, have, have, I had the best business year I've had in a long time. Um, I had some opportunities that I never would have had. Mm-hmm. And it helped me realize, and this is the biggie, because I, I work for another coaching company doing some amazing work there. But it helped me get really fine-tuned on why I still want to let what I do here matter. Yeah. I could walk away right now and go, I'm done. Yeah. And I'm not going to do that. Yes, have I adjusted? Yes, I don't do as, you know, I say I don't do as many podcasts. And then lo and behold, I'm doing just as many as I always do, <laughs> just because I love it. I mean, it's 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 my joy. You talk about stuff that sparks joy, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll channel my inner Marie Kondo there. This sparks joy in me. But um, it does make you realize when what you can do in the worst of times mm-hmm. and the impact you can have. And I think as we wrap this up here, I think that's a really good space to kind of bring this full circle that even in the worst of times, A, you found your way out of the conversion therapy and realizing I can help with this. And then suddenly when like, okay, I'm done, I can't get on any stages right now. And even though we can do the, you know, the remote virtual stuff, it's not quite the same. And I know a lot, immediately a lot of colleges and stuff, they're like, yeah, we're not doing that either. Cause we don't really know mm-hmm. what the fuck we're going to do. Right. Exactly. You know, so it, nobody did not that I'm saying it just was our little world as speakers but nobody really knew what they were going to do because it was just like, okay, now what? Mm -hmm. But to see that you were able to build this out of chaos is really what it came from. Yeah. And have such beautiful integrated. It's a lot, it's kind of similar to P flag, but it's such a, it's a little bit different twist altogether. Yeah. Because you're bringing so much intersectionality to the conversation that I just, it's amazing to hear what you've done. And I, I, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, yeah, this was all kind of happening. Like when we first met, you were just starting mm-hmm. to like, hmm, what are we going to do? And I saw the same thing happen on a smaller scale. I mean, I started holding these chats for, you know, men coming out of the closet and then like just the LGBTQ community in general. And then I was like, well, I'm going to have one for guy, my guys 40 plus. And then the interesting thing is suddenly the 40 plus one, it was all the gay guys that were showing up. I'm like, well, this is stupid. I have this podcast called 40 plus real men, real talk. And the guys who are participating in the calls and showing up on the Facebook group, they're all gay guys. So screw that. It's going to be 40 plus gay men, gay talk, be done with it, you know, but um, it's just so amazing. So, um, so before we wrap it up here, Elena, I just curious for you, what do you feel like the next frontier for us in the LGBTQ community is to really say, here's where our next work really has got to go to? First of all, this is the best question I've been asked in the last six months. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And I am shocked that I have an answer immediately at the ready because it's such a good question, but it's there. Here's the deal. Research has now shown us that Gen X 
we're identifying at about 8% of the population. The millennials are identifying at about 10% of the population. Research that has come out in 2020 is showing us that Gen Z, the kids that are 15 to 24 right now, they are identifying at 33%. Wow. Our world is changing and fast. Yeah. And these kids, as, as anyone, any functioning adult in the LGBTQ community knows, damaged kids grow into damaged adults. Amen, amen, amen. And it's one of the biggest struggles of our community to create our cohesiveness and our unity because we all have demons that we have to slay first. And so it's been a big problem in helping us all come together. And now we have a third of the general population in the next 10 years are going to be adults. They are our future. And if we don't invest in them now heavily, with all of our resources, we're gonna pay for it in 10 years. So to me, that is our next step as an LGBTQ community is putting the legislation in place, putting the educational procedures in place, putting the, the work, the, the mental health support in place, yep. right? Like educating these parents that you guys, like it's one of the biggest things I have to tell the parents and the, the work managers, you guys one in three. Yep. If you have three kids, if you have three Gen Z employees, one of them is LGBTQ in some way. And if they haven't come out to you, it's because they are dealing with some internalized damage and we need to help them. Wow, that's a powerful thing. And I think you are so spot on. You know, people are like, oh yeah, this is is so much better than it used to be. I'm like, you have no idea Mm -hmm. because it's not. I mean, yeah, okay, it is better. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's not improved, but it's kind of like I don't. What you just demonstrated is we're not catching up with the need, right? Because the need is going to become more and more and more. Now, with that need, here's the thing that I believe: with that need, there's probably, and this is going to sound completely contradictory what I'm about to say. With that need there's not as much need because the Gen Z's are like, screw you. This is who I am. But with that need comes the support to to let them say, screw you. This is who I am. And I don't know that we as a society, we're more accepting, but we don't know still how to really embrace this. Thus, when you have things like what Alina has brought into the world where a grandparent can sit there and go, I just don't know how to relate. Yeah. Or how do I have this conversation? Or, you know, how do I have the sex talk with my gay son and I'm not gay myself? You know, these are where the needs are. We may be opening, which we are, I believe we're opening. And we may be more understanding, but there's in opening and understanding, there's still places to learn. I didn't know how to have this conversation with my daughter when she said, I broke up with Olivia. (laughs) <laughs> i didn't know how to have a conversation with my daughter another my other daughter when she said i'm bisexual mm-hmm. i had to learn all these things that's right that's right we are not excluded from that lack of information and mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest things that i'm trying to get out there is the knowledge that lgbtq population is one of the only marginalized population born to parents not of the same marginalized population yep. 
When you have a black kid born to black parents, they get it. They do not need extra education, extra exposure to know how to help their child. Parents of LGBTQ kids do, like they need that extra help. And the, the very first step to that is them recognizing that they need extra help and the people, the community around them recognizing they need extra help. We want those kids to have great parents to help guide them, but we need to give those great parents exactly. the resources to do that. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And thank you for making that happen or at least contributing. I know you're not, I know you're not carrying on all the stuff, but um, no, just what we can do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and if somebody wants to, and we're going to have all this, but I always like to, if somebody wants to reach out to uh, your organization, where what's the website? Yeah. So the main website is prideandjoyfoundation.com. Uh, the summit is happening in May. And so if you want more information about that, that's at prideandjoysummit.com. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us this morning, Elena. Thank you, Rick. This has been great. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life on Closet. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about and you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, We'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted, and never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.